0: Well, I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, the passage is once again printed uh, in your bulletin. And uh, I believe it's going to be again on the slides as, uh, as you sit at home watching the live stream. Uh, we've, we've come to the end, uh, the end of uh, a study that we began way back. Uh, in October of last year for fifteen weeks now we've worked through this letter of first Peter verse by verse, chapter by chapter, mining its riches in regards to uh, our lives in exile that's what Peter calls uh, the church at the very beginning of this letter mining its riches in regards to the suffering that we face as believers as followers of Christ, and most importantly, uh, the thread that runs throughout this book of 1 Peter is the gospel of grace in Jesus. And this morning, we turn to the last part of the letter, chapter 5, where Peter addresses a host of things before wrapping up. I uh, considered in light of the abnormality of what is going on uh, to, uh, to divert and yet, uh, really, as I pl- uh, dove into this passage, thought, uh, I think we need to stay here. I think we need to finish, and, uh, and then we'll move on as we uh, anticipate celebrating um, the resurrection in a few weeks. Um, but I think we're gonna set our hearts here uh, for this morning. Now I know that chapter five, as you'll hear when I read it, uh, it has the potential to be uh, three or four sermons easily. Uh, we could have had a sermon on the office of, of elder, and we could have camped out there for a week. We could have had a sermon on humility, and we could have camped out there for a week. Uh, we could have had a sermon on spiritual warfare, and we could have camped out here, uh, there for a week, or, or two weeks, or three weeks. But two things. Number one is that some of those themes we've already looked at as we have uh, marched our way through this letter, Peter obviously has, has covered some of those things already as he has uh, spoken to the church. And number two, we are obviously uh, in a unique time in our history. And the circumstances of this gathering uh, here this morning punctuates uh, that fact. And so as I wrestled with this passage this morning, um, as I thought about how to come about it, I'd like to tackle uh, First Peter chapter 5 from a, a slightly different angle. But one that I hope and pray and trust is is not only faithful to the text, but faithful uh, to the voice of God. Because I see this passage as uniquely challenging and encouraging us this morning. And so I invite you to give uh, your attention as I read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, which is the entirety of of the chapter. Listen as I read. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, the faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. This is the word of So I've actually got three gifts for each of you this morning. Three gifts. Actually, they're not mine to give, but I am the one who gets to give them. Of course, every week is, in a sense, um, an opportunity for me to give gifts to you from God's Word. I'm just organizing it in such a way this morning where it is three gifts. My sermon title this morning is entitled, Grace for Exiles. But some authors, especially those old Puritan authors that so many of us love, they like to tease that out a little more with a good subtitle. And so the subtitle of my sermon is this, God's Gifts of Grace in Times of Suffering. God's Gifts of Grace in Times of Suffering. Of suffering. If you were here last week or if you listened in last week, the focus of Peter's words just previous to this were on the reality of suffering. But not just the reality of suffering, what God does in our suffering. Well, as Peter here in chapter five brings his letter to the churches to a close, his words bring to us, bring to his original hearers, a a powerful balm to hearts that are feeling discouraged and disoriented. Maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe that's you watching over the internet. You are discouraged. You are disoriented. If so, I invite you to rejoice in the uniqueness of what Jesus offers to those who cling to him, i don 't know if any of you tuned to uh, that, uh, that live stream. I sent out an email uh, a couple days ago about a live stream that was happening um, uh, by Tim Keller. Tim Keller's one of our, uh, one of the pastors in our denomination, and he did a live stream it 's a series of live streams that he 's doing, uh, I think in just. Uh, uh, Um, answering questions about Christianity, I listened to the live stream and I found it encouraging um, because it was about suffering. And he surveyed these various worldviews and religions and their view of suffering, um, some viewing suffering in our world as justice for something that they've done in a previous life. And so to those who hold that worldview, there is no unjust suffering. And and some view suffering in our world as um, something you need to detach yourself from through changed desires. And then he honed in on the modern, secular, materialistic view of suffering, which is the majority view held in our culture and in the Western world. We see it alive and well in this current crisis. And it's making us panic. You see, the world is panicking in the midst of this Suffering, let's just call it that. Because all of our meaning is wrapped up in stuff, in science, in security. And when those things are stripped away, when we lose control, we freak out. I'm here to proclaim to you that not so for the believer in Jesus because the promises of Christianity from God's word this morning come to us as tools, as grace, to handle our hearts and our lives in times like these. And they're all here this morning in First Peter chapter five, for us to receive and for us to in turn, offer to the world and offer to others. And so briefly, I want to look at them. Three gifts of grace for you to embrace and press in this morning, press into this morning as God's people. One's present, one's grounded in eternity past, and one is promised for eternity future. And the first one is this. Gift number one, a household of faith. Gift number one, a household of faith. The other night, uh, my family and I, some of us, we watch the movie uh, The Rise of Skywalker. I imagine there's a lot of movie watching going on these days. Uh, I personally really like that movie, and one of my favorite lines in that movie is when, when the rebels are, seemingly, are faced with seemingly insurmountable enemy numbers. And Poe Dameron says to his friend, he says this, he says, the first order wins by making people think that they are alone. We are not alone. And that's the first thing I want us to focus our hearts on. It's what the Lord reminds us of this morning. Now I recognize that the phrase, a household of faith, isn't used here. It's not here in 1 Peter chapter 5. The spiritual house that we are being built up To into is is spoken of way back in chapter two. And so I'm kind of coming at this through the side door or, or through the back door. But the language here to elders reminds us who are not elders and will never be called to be elders, that we have a church, that we are not alone. That we have an organization, an organism that is illustrated here in these verses as Peter addresses the elders. Yes, biological families are important. Neighbors are wonderful. The notions of of humanity uh, that we're hearing these days, we're all in this together, are nice. (laughs) But nothing replaces God's wisdom and God's gift of grace in giving us the church. Now, some have commented here, that uh, Peter's words seem so out of place that they don't really belong, but actually they flow from the previous words that he wrote to the church that we looked at last week, that God uses our suffering in part to make the church holy, like Jesus. And in the midst of all of that, in in the midst of all of that, God's design is that the leadership of the body will push God's people to that end. So what I want you to see this morning is that Jesus is caring for you in his physical absence, having ascended to the Father's right hand, that Jesus is caring for you in part through the men that God has called to be shepherds of his people. The picture of a shepherd is, is one of the great, if not the greatest pictures that the ancient agrarian society of the Middle East has given us, right? The Lord himself, Yahweh describes himself as a shepherd in Psalm 23, making us lie down In Green Pastures, comforting us with his rod and with his staff, preparing a table for us in front of our enemies. And then Jesus, when he comes to earth and is made flesh for us, he takes that designation upon himself in John 10. And now here, that picture is given to those men called in the church. What do earthly shepherds do? They they reflect Jesus. They know their flock, they feed their flock, they lead their flock, they protect their flock. And as Peter says in his comments here, they must do it willingly with a sincere love for others, with humility, not domineering. Peter leads by example here himself. We see Peter's own humility as he describes himself as a a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Jesus. Jesus. Now, first of all, Peter was way more than just a fellow elder, right? He was, he was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was part of the inner circle. He was the rock on which, on which Christ planned to build his church. And then it's interesting that Peter would bring up the witness of Jesus' sufferings, right? That was one of Peter's most painful and humbling experiences as he witnessed Jesus' suffering and denied him. He could have said much more. I witnessed his resurrection. I was there at the transfiguration. But no, in humility, he speaks of his suffering. And so he invites men called to do the same, to humbly serve. As I said, we could spend a lot of time on this one subject But I think just three responses to these first four verses. Number one, give thanks for your elders. Give thanks for them. Give thanks as those who by God's grace represent the love and care of Christ and those who represent the gift of one another. The local church, the household of faith, the family of God, United to Christ by faith, we are united to one another by faith. And in times of trial, what a gift it is. Secondly, follow your elders as they collectively humble themselves before God and for, before one another. You can humble yourselves before them as the last question of our membership vow states, do you promise to submit to its, the church's leadership in all biblical things? And then finally, pray for your elders. They desire to be examples and reflections of Jesus, but they're not sinless. They are not Jesus. So pray for them. And not only that, pray for your future elders. It's the month of March. One of the things about the month of March at APC is it's the time, it's the season when we nominate men to serve as elders and deacons as officers in our church. And that nomination period has begun. And it's an odd time, of course, for that nomination period uh, to have begun, but we invite you to begin. I invite you to begin even now prayerfully considering who you in the body have seen, exhibiting the gifts and the heart and the humility to be an elder or a deacon in this church. And you can submit your nominations via email to any elder or by phone. Pray for your future elders. And so that's, that's gift number one of grace in times of suffering that Peter gives here. The household of faith, the family of God as represented by elders. We may not be able to see one another this morning. We may not be able to meet. But you are not alone. We are the church. Gift number two. Gift number two the mighty hand of God. It's the second thing I want you to see here this morning the mighty hand of God. Disease is not from God. Disease is a result of the fall. But brothers and sisters, God is at work these days. Using COVID-19, he's stripping away the idols of prosperity, of wellness, of security, and most especially of control. How profound has the loss of control been in our society? It's been, it's been humbling. And it's been a good thing. Humility says, I don't know. Please help. It's the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of having everything figured out. Peter says to these suffering believers, clothe yourselves with humility. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. In other words, submit to the wise ordering of your lives. His wise ordering of your lives. This language of the mighty hand of of the Lord recounts the the Exodus long ago and the acts of God and the lives of his people, Israel. Deuteronomy 3, verse 24, Moses says, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? And the mighty hand of God was not shown just in the rescue of God's people, but also even, even in their suffering. Job learned this through his own experience of suffering, which led to his own humbling in Job chapter 42, verses 2 and 3. I know that you can do all things, he says to the Lord, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which i did not know acknowledgement of god's mighty hand precedes the response of humility and the proof for the proof of this what humility looks like according to peter is prayer Verse seven, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The word translated here as cast is the same word that's used in Luke chapter 19, verse 35. The disciples have just received Uh, retrieved a colt that Jesus will use to to ride into Jerusalem and we read this and they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt casting their cloaks on the colt what a great image toss it all to Jesus like we said last week entrust your souls to your creator his shoulders are plenty big Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two says cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We can humble ourselves because we are ruled by a God w- with a mighty hand. We can humble ourselves because we are loved by a father who cares. We can humble ourselves because we have one who has gone before us, who humbled himself, who became a servant, who suffered as we do now and yet went obediently to the cross. Jesus is our example. Jesus is our strength. And so in suffering, in uncertainty, we cry out to the mighty hand of God. That's the second gift. And then finally this morning, gift Number three, glory to come. Glory to come. The present reality of one another The past promises and proof of the mighty hand of God all leads us to a future that is our hope, that is our inheritance, a future ushered in by resurrection, not just a resurrection promise, but a resurrection proved by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so in this world of suffering, in this world of science, Peter reminds us that what we see is not all that there is. Ours is an enchanted world, as I love to say. Ours is a spiritual world with, for one, (laughs) real spiritual enemies. An enemy that incites idolatry and fear. An enemy that blinds us to the truth. An enemy that casts doubt on God's promises and our standing and our identity before him. An enemy that is relentless, Peter says. And yet he also reminds us, an enemy that can be resisted through watchful knowledge of his ways, through sober-minded focus on the promises of God. This enemy will soon be no more And when that happens, what awaits us is eternal glory. The unseen will be made visible. Unfading crowns of glory. And as Peter said at the beginning of this letter, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We've spoken of it before, seeing that prize knowing with certainty that future grace sustains us in times like these. More than ever, don't you, don't you long, long for that. For that day when the God of grace who has called you will himself, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you, as Peter says. Brothers and sisters, these realities, these gifts of grace girded up the church of the first century in the suffering that they were facing, and it does the same for us now. The household of faith, the mighty hand of God, which we're called to humble ourselves under, and the glory That is to come. Give thanks for these. Press into them. Let them change you. Let them change the way you think. Let them change the way you live. Let them change the way that you suffer. And let them be your message. Because this is our time. This is our time to be love. This is our time to be light. May God use us to bring revival to his land. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this entire letter of Peter that we have engaged over the last weeks and months, for its message to a church in exile, a church longing for a home. We thank you for its message to us this morning in disorienting times. We thank you for the gifts that Peter has reminded us that are ours as the people of God. Father, may we indeed be given the grace to press into these, to make them the rhythm of our lives, the overflow of our hearts, that you would use us, particularly in times like these, for your glory, and for your honor, and for the spread and fame of your great name. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.